Thank you, everybody, for joining another edition of the Fit for Duty podcast. Myself, I'm Larry Brown with my co-host, uh, IFBB Pro Vaughn Ateen. And we have a part two with Dr. Mike Israeltov. Did I pronounce that right? Meh. Good enough. <laughs> good, good enough for government work? Okay. Uh, <laughs> from Renaissance Periodization, this is uh, part two of our talk on all things hypertrophy. First of all, Doc, how you doing today? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. How are you guys doing? We're good. Well, we're good. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, so just to kind of pick up where we left off, we were talking about uh, RIR, RPE, and things of that nature. Um, I have to ask because I know a lot of people may not follow you or anything like that. Um, and we're hoping that we can change that tide a little bit more. Um, you have a hypertrophy book coming out and mm-hmm. it's going to go in depth into a lot of topics that you've written about online. Tell us more about where the idea from the book came from, uh, how long has it been worked on, and when can we expect to see it uh, for the masses? Cool, yeah. So originally, um, when I was in graduate school at East Tennessee State under Dr. Mike Stone, we learned like probably about four or five key training principles for all sports, like specificity, variation, overload, fatigue management, and a few more. And I thought that was fascinating because of the first time that I had been introduced to the idea that training isn't just a bunch of different stuff, Uh, it's based around principles that actually work and can be described generally. And once you understand them generally, you can understand them specifically. Um, It's like understanding the principle of not going over the speed limit generally is a good idea and you can understand why. And then you can specifically apply it sort of depending on what the speed limit is. Is it 25? Is it 75? And so on and so forth. So I thought that was really sweet. And, um, I started, when I became a professor, I started teaching the principles for uh, program design, for uh, strength training, uh, among other things. And as I was teaching those principles, I sort of developed a few principles that I thought uh, could better complement that whole picture. And I think we got to about seven training principles. And uh, during that time, RP was sort of growing. And folks were asking us about how we trained people for strength because we had already written the RP diet book, talk about the principles of dieting. We really wanted to write a book at that point to describe our approach to strength training. It would have to be derived from the principles because that's how we did it. So we wrote the scientific principles of strength training. And of course, as soon as we did that, we got sort of two reactions. One was, oh, holy crap, this book is awesome. This is incredible. This is a really deep analysis. I love it. It allows me to really understand strength training at a deep level so I can write programs. And that was like, yay. And then what we should have seen coming is the inevitable second point was, uh, hey, like, so does this apply to hypertrophy? Because, you know, probably of 100 people that tell you they want to get strong in the gym, maybe at least 80 actually just want to get jacked. And they say strong in order so that you don't judge them for being like a superficial person (laughs) or something like that. And um, so it turns out a lot of people really just wanted to know what the uh, similar principles were for hypertrophy training. And at the time, I remember um, we were giving, myself and James Hoffman, we were giving a seminar in um, London uh, for Steve Hall of Revive Stronger. And someone asked, when is the hypertrophy book equivalent going to be coming out? And I said, I think on camera, that I just don't know enough to write a hypertrophy principles book. Because at that point, the science and my thinking about the science and practical application just wasn't evolved enough. There was a lot of questions that weren't well answered. For example, training frequency, how often you should train, was just really mysterious. There just wasn't enough research for us to definitively say, is one time per week of training definitely worse than twice. What about three times per week training, so on and so forth. So I held off on writing that book for a long time because I just didn't know enough to write the book. And then over the course, that was, I believe in 2015, 
or 2016. And then over the years, I uh, just absorbed everything I possibly could um, on hypertrophy and tons of research came out. Uh, folks like Brad Schoenfeld and his colleagues directly did the research and summarized it. Folks like Greg Knuckles and James Krieger and Menno Henselmans and Eric Helms summarized a lot of the research that was coming out as well as contributed to their own. And we started to get like a really, really good understanding of a lot of stuff. And I started to piece a lot of things together. So in 2019, I sat down and over the course of probably about two weeks, I wrote the vast majority of that book. And then since then, this has been going through a refinement and editing process, adding a few things here and there, taking a few away. My co-authors joined and, and, and really put in the, the work as well. So now it's, uh, the book has been fundamentally complete for, gee, at least six months. And it's just going through refinement, editing, graphics, et cetera. And it will be released so very likely in something like December. Great. Outstanding. So, you know, the, I think one thing too is that, and please take no offense to this, and Vaughn, let me know if you feel the same way, is a lot of people with PhDs tend to talk over the heads of mere mortals like us, right? So is this going to be palatable for everyone? Because I have the, I have the uh, strength training book that you put out through Juggernaut, mm -hmm. and I haven't exactly dived into it but I've noticed that a lot of people that have PhDs tend to talk over, talk over a lot of people and we can't understand the concepts. Is this going to be broken down into easy to understand tidbits of information where we can go to the gym, apply it and be able to build a mesocycle that has MEV, MRV, ME all enclosed in one? No. <laughs> No, it'll be highly technical. It is already written. It's highly technical. Uh, it is incredibly complicated. It seeks to explore hypertrophy training at a, at a very, very deep level. It uses tons of technical language right off the bat. It has a section of terms and definitions, but it actually recommends multiple books to be, re to be read before reading it. These are books by other authors, including an entire textbook on hypertrophy from Brad Schoenfeld. Once you have read it, you will be ready for this book. So this book is, is exclusively designed for the advanced thinker on hypertrophy. Now, it, at the end of each chapter, it does have a summary bullet point, very simple, straightforward programming recommendations that's it's very, very simple to understand. It absolutely does have that. So you could hypothetically just get the book and go to the last page of each chapter and go, oh, well, why don't you just say this? Most of the book is a theoretical development so that all our recommendations don't just seem like they're coming out of the blue. We could absolutely have written a book that says, hey, just do this. But then people would ask, so why are we doing this and not that? The book really is a, a sort of tour de force is describing that second question. Why are we doing this and not that? It's a real, real deep book. It is not for the average reader. A matter of fact, the preface is going to state it is not for the average reader. Now, that's just the book. That's a part of the stuff we released. If you just want a super straightforward, the simplest understanding, then we actually have a series already released on YouTube, on the Renaissance Periodization YouTube, called Hypertrophy Made Simple. It is a series of, I believe, 16 videos, each one on a separate topic, usually on something like how to choose exercises, how much weight to use, how close to failure to get, how to construct an accumulation phase of a mesocycle, how to construct a deload. Each one of these videos is like five to 10 minutes long, very little technical terms that aren't defined in the video. So it's super straightforward, super easy for most folks who train in the gym to be able to understand. The kicker here is if you just watch that video series and look at the slides, you're going to be able to build programs. There's tons of questions are going to be answered instantly. However, if you're one of those people that go now, I see that you recommend, you know, an average of two reps in reserve and you sort of kind of explained why five reps in reserve or negative one reps in reserve isn't the best idea, but I'm not entirely convinced the hypertrophy book is for that person because our discussion of relative effort and hypertrophy training spans multiple, multiple pages, references tons and tons of literature and really explains 
sort of the whole universe of what relative effort reps and reserve means and why some extremes are worse than others and where you end up. So that video series, I think, is exactly that simple approach. The book is a backstop to that. You know, because, you, you know, for example, if you watch like a Netflix documentary on the environment or something, some people would watch that and be like, oh my God, this is amazing. I love it. And some people watch it and be like, you know, what he said at 55 minutes, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. For those kinds of people, that's the people that go and get the book on environmental policy, look at it, and they go, oh, wait, this guy's lying. This is bullshit. <laughs> or they, they look at it and they go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Because see, he didn't explain the deeper meaning. Well, the thing is, you know, one hour documentaries are not designed to explain deeper meanings. There's not enough time. So this hypertrophy made simple YouTube video series is exactly that super simplified uh, approach that if you want the deep justification for, that's what the book is for. So the book is not a handy dandy reference guide. The shit is like, a, you know what I'm saying? If you print it out, you could hit a motherfucker over the head with it and probably kill somebody. It's that kind of book. <laughs> oh God. Okay. All right. So that, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, yeah. Cause in our conversations, uh, on Facebook, and you, you've seen what I post on Facebook, I definitely mm -hmm. am not a science motherfucker, right? <laughs> uh, I, I am definitely not into science at all. So it's good to have that reference um, using the YouTube and the parallel between the YouTube and the book. Yep. I'm going to ask one more question before I let Vaughn take over a little bit. Uh, Tara, tell us about your relationship with Jerry Feather and Charlton Banks and how they fit <laughs> into this whole thing that's because uh, you really don't see Nick Shaw. Everyone thinks, no one remembers Nick Shaw now. It's Jared sure. Feather and Mike Israel, <laughs> right? right? So tell us about that relationship and, and tell us how that blossomed into what it is now. And I know we don't have these gentlemen on the show right now, but what can we expect to see from Jared in the future? Oh, geez. Well, did you see that last picture of him I posted? Yes. Yes. The shit straight up, let's just admit, that shit makes no goddamn sense. I'm going to put this out there. I, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. And I know it's a stretch, so I don't really mean this. But that shit brings up some Flex Wheeler 92 vibes, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, yeah. holy. At least it's ridiculous. Yeah. I looked at that picture after he took it, and I'm like, the first thing I said was, fuck you. This <laughs> shit is not fair. <laughs> Life isn't fair, goddammit. Right, I and that's like 217. That's no, not even like, you know? He's 5'10". Shit. So, but the thing is, so, so here's another parallel. This is, again, I know there's reverence here. I don't really mean this, but like Flex Wheeler was like 5'9", and his best shape ever was in the, like the low 220s, high yeah. teens. And people think he was out 250. Like, no, no, that was like post-synthol Flex Wheeler. Yeah, like, and to give people a little context, I, I hate to interrupt, Mike, but to no, give no, people no. a little context, uh, the rumor, and I don't have any fact, but the rumor is that 1997 Flex Wheeler, when he won that Arnold Classic, he was around about 212 to 217 on yep. stage. Yep. And he beat Nasser, he beat Mike Francois, he beat Ronnie Coleman, he beat Vince Taylor. Yeah. That's a hell of a list, huh? That is. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it, it, that's the thing is body weight is a thing, but bodybuilding is first, you know, about shape. And then it's how does that weight make that shape? So when a shape is there, the weight is like kind of secondary to making sure you don't screw that shape up as you gain the weight or lose the weight or whatever. So the story with Jared Feather is, so Nick Shaw and I, we started RP. And Nick Shaw is a recreational bodybuilder, but he's a businessman and a family man for the most part. So he does not, Nick is never going to compete in bodybuilding again. He's not like, or there's no plan anyway. He doesn't like push his body to the limits in that regard. He's doing some CrossFit now. He's doing jujitsu. He's, he's being a, a businessman and, and, and an athletic person generally. So, so that's the case with Nick. And then, so when I was a professor at Central Missouri, University of Central Missouri, Jared Feather was one of my students. And he already looked like you could tell his genetics were pretty sweet. You never can tell how sweet though. Like he looked great, right? But he didn't look like he does now. And he was a person that sat in the front of the room and he squinted at me skeptically for everything I said. 
And he took a shitload of, uh, of notes. And then when he would, uh, after class, almost every class, he would come up to me and say, you know, you said this, but this doesn't make sense. And it contradicts what you said earlier. What do you think about that? And I love that because that is a, the mark of a truly excellent student. And he ended up, uh, you know, really, really making me think super hard about how logically what everything I was saying, he refined my own thinking. And in that process, he, over the course of his undergraduate career and part of his master's career, I was part of his uh, master's education as well, just for a little bit. Um, he is the single greatest student I've ever had. He scored in excess of 100% on almost every course. He got an A plus in everything I ever taught him. So he just completely excelled on the academic side, and then he went on to get his master's degree at Central Missouri Mike, after I had already left. Oh. Hello. Seems we may have lost Mike. No, I'm, I, I hear you on my end. Do you hear me, Mike? Yeah, yeah. So I think we're, we're losing Larry here. Oh, God. It says my internet connection is unstable. But continue anyway, please. Okay. <laughs> so Jared was a phenomenal student, and this entire time he was – engaging in bodybuilding training and had been. He had been training for seven years or something before I ever met him. He trained all through high school. And by then he was very large uh, and he was drug free. And we had a series of very sort of deep talks where I was trying to hammer home to him to stay drug free as long as possible because it's very tempting to make the switch all too early. We succeeded in that. And he ended up doing his last a uh, natural competition at I think a stage weight somewhere in the one the low 190s or something like that uh, which is a big fucking natural and he was shredded he turned pro naturally he won a natural pro show so he had accomplished everything in that realm that he liked and then we uh, by then I was working with Broderick Chavez who is a, a specialist in uh, in the non-natural, I'll say that. And we used his guidance to make sure that Jared did everything appropriately in that realm and didn't bite off too much more than he could chew. And uh, put it to you this way, with incredibly minimal administration of special sports supplements, we'll call them, Jared gained a roughly 20 pounds of muscle his first year. So... So, and it was not without its trials and tribulations and sort of health concerns because, you know, shit is, this is real shit, you know, it's not something you do recreationally. And we had to figure some things out here and there, balance a few things here and there. But now he's into his second year or has just finished his second year of being on the dark side. And he's up like 30 pounds total in muscle tissue. And it's, uh, it's we're taking it slow and steady. And uh, now he's going to be gunning for his pro card. And whether that happens in open men's bodybuilding or whether it happens in uh, classic physique is a matter of how much muscle, like it's a matter of when he gets his pro card. Because if he, for example, if he hypothetically were to compete in these coming winter shows and nationals and USAs, if he can make the classic cutoff weight wise, and he's like, really pushing the limit on that yeah. then he has a very good shot of getting a classic pro card if he doesn't either he doesn't make the weight or you know whatever he doesn't come in you know super crispy or some phenom comes in and, and blows him out of the water though when you guys saw that picture i sure as hell wouldn't want to be in his class competing for a fucking classic physique card against him because holy shit um he comes out and hits a front relaxed and the judges are going to be like well okay i think we just found our new pro but um <laughs> So, because he has that shock factor that's just really intense. Um, but um, if that doesn't happen this go around, then we're upping the ante on the mass gaining side of things, and we already have that plan in place. And after this next year, he'll never make classic again, and he'll have trouble making heavyweight in the men's open. He'll probably either compete at the very top end of heavyweight if we can shrink him down, or probably more likely just compete as a super heavyweight. And he's not going to have to compete as a super long. As you guys can imagine him on stage at 228 to 232 um, with similar lines. It's kind of kind of an insane proposition. Especially so, the imposing height for bodybuilding. Yeah, yeah. 510 is, that's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. So he's, we're taking it slow and steady, one step at a time. He's 27 years old. 
Um, and we're in this for the long haul. So that's the Jared Feather story. And him and I have uh, lived in various different parts of the country. We've lived in similar parts of the country since he finished school. Now we're living together in Las Vegas and training, and that's going super, super well. Um, we're just here for a year because my wife has a, an appointment from from work in Las Vegas for a year. So we're, we're crushing it and taking the time to do things. I'll, I'll put it this way, slow and steadily, but we're not, uh, we're not dil, uh, dilly daddling. You know, we're, we're getting, we're in, in putting in the work. And then for Charlie, so his real name is Charlie Jung. Uh, Charlton Banks is his Instagram handle, <laughs> but you know, he's like, he fucking made that handle. So he's going to have to live with people calling him Charlton Banks. Um, <laughs> so, and that's a, that's a play for the Will Smith, a Carlton Banks yeah. character, right? So um, he was a power lifter um, that I had known just through internet discussions back in like 2014 or something. And then I was actually visiting my, uh, one of my best friends, James Hoffman, who was a professor at Temple University in Philadelphia. I was visiting from Missouri. And it was Halloween weekend. And I put up a thing on Facebook. I was like, hey, who's, who's, who's trying to hang out uh, in Philadelphia and go to some Halloween parties? And Charlie, who I just basically, there was no DMing at that point. Like the DMs existed. I had never DMed him, nor did he me. But he like commented on the status. He's like, I'm down. So I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. So it was like a really funny story now, but a little bit of miscommunication. He thought we were throwing a Halloween party. So he and his now wife came uh, over and they were like, ta-da. And we're like, what up? And it's just like a giant house and just the four of us. And they're like, where's the party? And we're like, so we meant like we were going to go to parties together. And they're like, oh. So we ended up getting out and then and going to uh, dancing. And we were like, it was ridiculous costumes. I was, the, for, the, for that night that they came out, Charlie was Batman. His uh, girlfriend, Brittany, was Robin. Uh, uh, James Hoffman was Jabba the Hutt. Like he had the full inflatable costumes. He couldn't see anything. And he could only walk at like a mile an hour because the legs are so close together. And uh, I was uh, Slave Leia. So he had me on a leash. No. Uh, oh, yeah. These, are, oh, these pictures are online. It was amazing. Amazing. People were really entertained or really, really deeply disturbed when they saw us. You know, either way, it's Halloween, right? So that started the friendship with Charlie. And then I got a job at Temple University a year later. And so I moved to Philly. We started hanging out. And uh, then Charlie was, uh, I started helping him a little bit with uh, his nutrition for powerlifting. And he was a very, very good powerlifter, top ranked. He had squatted 800 at uh, 242 with just knee wraps. So like the real deal, right? And he was getting to a point in his powerlifting training where a couple of injuries, and I'm sure you guys have been there with some of your training. You just don't really know why you're going super heavy anymore. Like you sort of accomplished your goals of totals. And now you're just like, powerlifting sometimes gets to a point where it just injures you more than anything else. And you're like, why the fuck am I doing this shit? Like I could be having great high. So he had these amazing hypertrophy blocks of training and I was not coaching him. And then when he transitioned to strength and peaking, it would just be like, like he hated the training at that point. It was just really injurious. Yeah. And so he, he thought, yeah, you guys, we've all been there. And, and so he thought, you know what, like, I'm going to give like muscle gaining and fat loss a crack. He wasn't talking about bodybuilding, just hypertrophy training. He started doing it and holy fuck did he respond well to it. And now he was going to compete last May but of course, COVID-19 won that fucking competition. You feel me? <laughs> Straight first. <laughs> so uh, we all lost there. Um, and so he didn't compete, but he got lean enough to where we saw glute separation at, and he, Charlie's, I think, 5'11". And he was at 235 the day he had the glute separation at the end when he pulled all his water and everything. Yeah. That is a giant fucking Korean, bro. They do not make them like that. No, let's go. So, so now the Charlie's been mass gaining since then. He's doing a real big push now to gain more mass. He's going to be prepping to compete in the summer and he's going to start competing with the goal of just getting bigger and leaner with each competition, but kind of we're sort of eyeing the eventual pro card or master's pro card in his future. He's, I think, 32 or 33 years old. So give him a couple more years of training. And again, on the pharmaceutical side, uh, to whatever extent that matters, 
Uh, I'm not going to list the numbers, but if I listed them, people, some combination wouldn't just tell me I'm a liar and that we're cutting the numbers by half to try to yes. keep people from killing yeah. themselves. So really low end stuff and flirt with a more moderate end as needed. Um, and that's the, cause we got a, what broader would call have a lot of upside. There's a lot of places to go there in that realm and we're keeping him super healthy and he loves the process. So he's just uh, getting super jacked. And he, he also works for RP. At some point during our friendship, we actually needed someone to run various parts of our business. And we realized he was excellent at pretty much everything he did. So we hired him. So he works for RP. Jared works for RP. as a, He's the head of the physique coaching department. So these are all coworkers at this point, but also best friends. And uh, Jared and I are training partners. Charlie and I, when I was living in Philadelphia for like two years, we were training partners. And it's just an incredible time. And now we have this sort of little circle of three jacked dudes that are just trying to do their best in the in the bodybuilding world and uh slowly get more conditioned and more muscular and see how the see how it plays out so that's awesome. that's the story there yeah. so i have a question about the book um now since you explained that this book is going to be a little bit more all encompassing than your average manual this clearly is in the manual this is it's not a manual it's almost a definitive work now did you write the book with the thought in mind of this kind of solidifying the reputation, the brand, or the perception of RP strength on more of the academic side, rather than mm. just the, hey, it's a, it's a coaching tool, it's, a, it's, a, it's an instruction manual. Was it, it, I'm, I'm talking, did you expect to get a Library of Congress number out of it? <laughs> Isn't that the crown, the crown achievement of anyone's <laughs> life? Um, uh, that's a really good question. Uh, the, the majority of the answer probably have to be not really. Um, the goal for the book for me, there's a couple goals. The big one for me is kind of like a cathartic goal of getting this off my chest. Um, I, I get asked questions about hypertrophy training to various levels of depth, especially from some folks to a really high level of depth all the time. And then I get asked questions on top of those questions. Like, okay, I know you recommend this, but why? And then I answer and then they go, but why this versus that? So at some level, I, I have to write this book in order to put down like sort of my more definitive stances on things of like, this is what I think the beginning of the real answer is in great depth. So that the people that are very curious for that next level of knowledge, get it. That's it. All in one place. So Brad Schoenfeld has a hypertrophy textbook, which talks in great scientific length about the basic underlying processes of, of hypertrophy and hints sometimes outright says, but mostly hints at, and this is probably what this implies for programming, right? This book can be seen and actually is explicitly written in the introduction that it should be seen as a complement to Brad Schoenfeld's hypertrophy textbook. It's like, okay, once you know the science that underpins muscle contraction and fiber types and how tension creates an anabolic response, that is what Brad Schoenfeld's book teaches you. Now the next question you may have is, how do we apply this in a complex fashion integrated into a real-world program design? Like, okay, I know what failure proximity is, but what does that mean? Like, uh, do I go to failure every week? Do I go to IR every week? How do I add load? How do I add reps? What is the ratio of stimulus to fatigue with various things? How do I select exercises in a real scientific way that's justified with a set of principles? It's that next step. I think a third step that we're not yet taking would be a program design manual, right? Which has sample programs and a whole bunch of other stuff I don't particularly at this juncture like a program manual idea, and I'll tell you guys why. And this is kind of a fucking stupid nerd fucking reason, but I think you guys might appreciate it. I think now manuals are incredibly worthwhile, so I'm not talking shit on manuals in general. But for me, there's a downside of manuals. Lots of upsides, but a downside is that they tend to intellectually constrain the reader to thinking that this is the right way of doing things. For example, okay, uh, if I was writing up a hypertrophy program, I would probably start out with like sort of like a push legs pull look and split twice a week. Okay. 
And someone would say, now, okay, that looks good, but what about upper lower three times a week? Like upper lower, upper lower, upper lower. Is that theoretically not as good? And what I would have to say is, no, 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 that's just as good, but this is just kind of my way of doing things. Like that's just how I do them. It's like somebody watches you make rice and flavor it, and they're like, so this is the optimal way to flavor rice. So, <laughs> no, this is a recipe, but there's 50 other ways to do it. The basics are you got to heat it at a certain temperature for a certain length of time and put in a certain amount of spices. Here's generally how many is too few or how many is too many. And then, then within those sort of constraints, which are pretty broad, be creative. And a program design manual a lot of times is just how someone like me would design programs, but somebody else could come up with ways that check every single box of those principles without... Uh, making a program that looks remotely like mine. So the manual is kind of like my best contribution to the field, I think, is to write this book of principles, and then other folks would take them and design manuals of their own. Excellent, yeah. I hope that makes sense. No, it makes, it makes plenty of sense, Steve. I, from, from my point of view, what it seems that you're saying is you don't want to lock someone into too yes. dogmatic an approach because they're reading your, your, your writing and thinking this is the end-all be-all when your real thinking about the topic encompasses so many more complex ideas. Like you For said, sure. a bit of that person's creativity and experience can lead them in one direction, whereas yours, when you write a manual, leads you in another. For sure. And you, you know what? I'll, I'll give you guys the exact analogy from uh, professional uh, IFB Pro Prep, okay? There's two sort of types of things you could be looking for when you're scouring the internet or talking to coaches about getting the best possible prep program together for like, let's say like the diet and the special sports supplements and the training, right? One is you could be looking for a set of dependable principles on which to design your own prep, maybe with some examples, right? Which is like what my book is for hypertrophy training. But the other thing you could be looking for, which is what a lot of people look for, is actual preps of actual pros that have gone past. How many, if you type in Jay Cutler Olympia drug stack, how many yeah. fucking hits do you get? <laughs> like a trillion? You know, scientists have theorized that maybe half of the internet is just pages that reference that search, right? So, so <laughs> now here's the thing. Let's say you actually, and this is a big if, let's say you actually found Jay Cutler's 2006 Olympia entire drug stack like you just found a, a, a supplement stack and it's all doses and timings and weeks out diuretics the whole bit okay what can you really do with that right and here's here's where it comes back to why maybe a book like scientific principles of hypertrophy training has a level of importance it can take has a utility because here's the thing when you get that stack you're not gonna i mean i hope Okay, I, I preface this with I hope. You're not gonna fucking run the shit verbatim, right? You're not gonna, you can't afford $2,000 a week of growth hormone to begin with, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're, you're like, you look at the numbers of like the amounts of trend and you'd be like, well, well, I don't have enough places to inject all this is insane, right? Like, you're not gonna run it verbatim. That's not why you looked it up. What you're going to do is examine it for patterns, for structures. Okay, ooh, okay, he introduces the androgens here. The ratio of androgens to anabolics is this. He introduces peptides here. Here's the timing with which he shoots his peptides. Here's where he introduces orals. Here's where he's cutting a lot of carbs. Here's where he's eating a lot of carbs. Here's how his calorie deficit looks at various weeks. What you're doing is taking the patterns out and using them to derive principles upon which you would create your own prep, right? So my book does that with hypertrophy training. It does it for you. So you don't have to look at a bunch of programs and go, I wonder why they did this. We take the wonder right out of the equation. There is no fucking program. We go, hey, you know, you're wondering about how to manipulate volume and intensity over time. Here's how you do it. And then you can take that and make your own program. So maybe like a book like, uh, I don't know, you guys ever seen the Anabolic series by William Llewellyn, like Anabolics 2012 or whatever? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. So that book, now, I, you know, I have some misgivings about that book. I think it's great in many ways. In many ways, I think it lacks luster. But it's a, it's a great fundamental. It's a great work. 
And that is the book equivalent of the hypertrophy book for like drugs, right? It's, it's not, it doesn't just say, here's what people took. It has like a tiny section in the back of sample stacks where you're like, okay, that makes sense. But mostly it's just like talks about compounds and talks about how to layer them, how to use them, how to draw them out, principle stuff. That's what I think has a big utility here. And there's a lot of people online talking about, hey, here's my hypertrophy program. And of course, there's lots of people searching for that, like Phil Heath's workout. Maybe it's not the best thing for you to know Phil Heath's workout. Maybe it's a better thing for you to know the principles behind Phil Heath's workout so that you can make your own Phil Heath workout without actually being Phil Heath, because you're never going to be Phil Heath. That's the thing, you're going to have to convince a lot of people. See, a lot of people who, who kind of think a little bit more deeply about the sport and about this endeavor, they're going to, they're going to listen to what you just said and they're going to, and something's going to click in their heads. They're going to be like, yes, but we have a lot of the instant gratification crowd who they're looking to go from olive oil to Phil Heath in six months and they want to know what Phil Heath did and they're going to try to replicate that. But those are the people that quite often fall by the wayside in this sport. Yeah. And that's a good point. You know, some combination of we hoping to talk those people out of thinking like that slash, and I know this sounds mean, and I only mean this for at least 80% of what I'm going to say is for comedy purposes. This is a fucking 20% grain of truth though. I don't give a fuck about those people, man. Mm. Like in, in some way, you know, like, yes, I do care about them. Yes. I hope that they wise up. Yes. I offer through RP, we offer a gazillion fucking resources from free all the way resources from podcasts all and you, right podcasts yeah. and YouTube all the way up to like whatever thirty five dollar book that yeah. like you know, as deep as you want to get here you go um, and we're cranking out YouTube videos now like at a completely insane rate so I, yeah, I've noticed yeah oh yeah thanks so so it's one of those like if you want to learn here here it is but like motherfucker if you just want to know what Phil Heath took. So you can get your little fucking stack together and take the shit and you think you're going to turn to Phil Heath respectfully. Fuck you. Like, <laughs> you know, that's like a 15 year old may and a below average 15 year old IQ would think that that's a fucking good idea. Like, and if you're still def- like defending that, whatever, like here are all the resources for you to be smart about the shit. If you want to be dumb about the shit, fucking sweet. You know, it's, I tell you this, this happens on Instagram and stuff all the time, even with a lowly motherfucker like myself. Like, I'm no Phil Heath, right? But I'll post a picture of like a most muscular and people are like, damn, that's what's up. And then they're like, so what are you eating? And I'm like, well, see, I wrote this book called The Renaissance Diet. And then she's 15 free videos about each chapter. You don't even have to buy the book. And it, can you guys hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, you can just literally tells you how to build your own diet. Oh, by the way, we got this fucking diet app. It's like free for two weeks and then it's like 15 bucks a month after. If you don't want to bother with designing your own diet at all, it just fucking does it for you to your exact specifications for you. And I've literally said that to people. And most people are like, oh my God, you're the fucking man. This is great. Thanks. But there's a small fraction of people that are like, no, 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 no. That's nice. But I want to know how many calories you're eating a day. And I'm like, what the flying fuck is like, why, why, why? You know what I mean? And, you know, I, I'm no big dude by any means. My, all my lifts are substandard compared to other people. Vaughn in his prime. (laughs) Exactly. Like Vaughn in his prime could, will, will, would absolutely blow me out the fucking water. People still want me to spoon feed them shit that I'm doing. And I'll be quite honest with you. You want to know what I have for breakfast on Friday? My mother-in-law's pasta bacon, some fucking chicken sausage. <laughs> I am not the person you need to be asking about what the fuck do am I eating? I am the yeah. wrong person. Yeah. And they want, they, it's, they're almost, at, they want to know what you're doing. And like you said, because they want your type of results. But it's so funny because these are seemingly, in our circle, I would imagine we speak to a lot of what we say, college educated people, a lot of people who have been educated they don't understand that my body is different from your body. Sure. So you need to do things on an individualistic level, sure. but for some reason they want that spoon fed information. And it's really a confirmation bias. If I'm using that term correctly, oh, yeah. to make sure that they're doing shit right. Yes. Because yes. they don't want to be told that someone looks at their diet and it's like, okay, you know, you fucking up. 
Don't use my <laughs> diet as a litmus test for your correctness on adherence and so on and so forth. 100%. 100%. I think they want easy answers without the principles. A lot of times they just want like one little answer. It's like, um, uh, I guess I was going to say when I was a professor, I'm a professor again, I teach uh, online courses now for Brad Schoenfeld's hypertrophy and strength master's program. But as a professor, um, you know, most of your good students, well, all of your good ones, they don't want to know the answer for the test. They want to know the information so that they learn it so that they could do two things. One, get the right answers on the test, duh, get a good grade, get their degree. But two, like, actually learn some shit, but I fucking swear to God, there is a bunch of students that if you showed up, and I've literally like played this joke on students before, I was like, you know, they, you know but so before an exam, students would be like, so like, what's on the exam? And you know, like a bunch of them that ask that, they haven't prepared for the exam, they don't know the principles behind what's on it. They just kind of want like to be spoon fed the answers. Then I've literally made the joke to students, I'm like, do you guys just want me to give you the answers to the exam? And like, no joke, there's a, always a fraction of like a quarter of your students that will perk up, their eyes will widen, and they'll like take out their pencils and start putting them to paper. Like they think you're going to fucking tell them. They would love to just write the answers down and then write them down for the test. And I just want to shake the living fuck out of them and be like, motherfucker, I could give you an A and you will pass this class. And then you're going to get a job as a personal trainer and fucking suck. And then you're not going to make any fucking money. And then you're going to switch careers to doing anything else. Because why the fuck are you here if it's not to learn some shit that makes an actual difference? So a lot of times, I think people want that shortcut answer, how many calories should I eat? And then, and then you just tell them a number and they're like, great. Like, that's not the answer. That answer will change in two weeks when your body adapts. Don't you want to know how that happens? And, you know, sometimes they're like, not really. And then what can you no, do? No, because you know what? They'll come back in two weeks and they'll ask you another question. They fucking will. They, and, and then you're coaching them for free on Instagram. And then <laughs> exactly. that's, just a, that's just audacity at that point. Like. I got a, a quick question. Like a person like that, see now, I coach people. So some, sometimes when I'm trying to explain people the principles behind simple things, even how to do a hamstring curl, watch RP Strength's video on how to do hamstring curls. Oh, stop. But here's, <laughs> but here's the principles behind why you should do it this way and doing it this way is more effective and how much you should hamstring curl is going to change based upon a lot of right. factors. Yeah. And Can you do a full range of motion? Do you feel it in the target muscle? Is it burning? Is it hurting exactly. joints? Right. Does it like that. these yeah. boxes? Right. And, but I, I, I don't know if it's because some people, it pains them to think deeply. Yeah. You know, that's it. Complex <laughs> about a topic. They kind of just would rather come back in two weeks. And is it, kind of immoral if you say, all right, come back until we pay me and I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, look, if you're, it's a, I don't think it's, you know, as long as you're voluntarily giving up information, there's nothing immoral about it. <laughs> you know, like if they're, <laughs> if they're paying you, then there's auspices that you would give them correct information. But if it's free, there's not even that assumption. Like I wouldn't, permanent, <laughs> I wouldn't purposely fuck with someone and give them wrong shit. But like, if you give them a little bit of the right shit, that is more than they're entitled to. I will say in a, now that we're ranting, another related thing I get, you guys probably get it a lot too. Um, Larry, I for sure have seen people ask this on your page. You do unexercise any exercise for like chest, okay? And the inevitable question, this question is like, it's not even infuriating anymore because like I'm over being pissed about it. It's just hilarious. And I've got a bunch of followers now that will comment for me so I don't even have to address it. But it's like, so I see you're doing the hammer strength incline. Do you think the decline's worse? It's like, <laughs> what? Like, oh, I see you doing the hammer strength incline press. So like, you don't, why don't you prefer dumbbells? I'm like, like it, it literally the analogy I've made is if you see someone eating like a, a bowl of rice and chicken, you're like, so you're allergic to pasta and beef, huh? You're like, what? I had that last meal. What the fuck are you talking about? But what? Thing, though, if they understood the principle of it, they could just refer to the refer to where never, they would never ask that question. No, they don't. They would be like, oh, that's a full range of motion chest press that hits the upper pectorals. And it's seemingly something you could do for a few weeks and get a lot out of it. And then once you wouldn't get a lot out of it anymore and just hurt your joints and was really stale, you would switch it to some other exercise that meant all the same thing, like an inclined barbell press, inclined dumbbell press. Like it, it, it's so funny too, because you see the shit in like Flex Magazine. It, like it's exactly like Flex Magazine type shit. Like a bodybuilder or like a top bodybuilder would be like, yeah, 
you know, I really prefer dumbbell work for the chest. And, and like 15,000 15-year-olds 15 run out and quit all their barbell movements that right. next day and start doing dumbbells. Like, you dumb motherfucker. You really think he has a chest like that because dumbbells and not barbells? No, because his, for his particular physique, you know, and here's the thing. Like, if I was inclined pressing 455 for reps, I might not want to do barbells either. <laughs> you know, like that shit gets scary at that point. And maybe if I was, you know, 38 years old like that pro and had been a collegiate football player before, my shoulder joints would be so fucked up, I could barely fucking move at all. Thank God there's dumbbells to allow me a little bit more freedom of motion. Maybe that's why, right? And so people miss that shit entirely because a lot of people don't want that deep principled thinking. And look, when I say deep, this shit is not that fucking deep. <laughs> it's not. It's just one little thought extra. Uh, you guys, and they don't want to do it. In, in, in your writings and in your manuals, you especially the, the the videos, you 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 lay it out in such a structured fashion that how could you not kind of like a light bulb go off in your head? So like when I see people post stuff like that on your page, I'm like, okay, well obviously you don't follow his YouTube videos, no. you don't read his, you don't read any of his literature, and you're just here for like I don't know to waste this guy's time and get free advice. We're getting to the point where people will not people have stopped reading for sure. They have stopped reading. We have reduced our, even our political learnings to memes. That's number one. 100%. Then number two, people have stopped watching YouTube videos. You don't even have to like actually look at the fucking YouTube video. You yeah. Sit in the background and listen to it. Yeah. Right? So They're now looking at vines and shit. We're getting <laughs> to a point where people ain't even listening. Yeah. I think so. I, uh, that's, that's 100% true, but on the sort of brighter side, I think I, I, here's my hypothesis. I think there's a bifurcation going on. Um, there's two roads. There's like a fork in the road because the internet and, and free market capitalism that powers it gives us one thing better than anything in the world. And that's options. Okay. You, anything you want, you fucking got it. There's a fork in the road for people, and this occurs politically. It occurs in every other realm as well. There's two sides of the internet, essentially. One side is, what is that shit called? It's not Instagram. It's the shorter little the TikTok, right? Yeah. One is the TikTok side of like, you have some kind of fucking brain disorder, and you can't pay attention for longer than five seconds. So if a video doesn't get to the fucking point in five seconds, you're scrolling on to the next one. Yeah. And there's that side, which is like, 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 like you said, like there's people don't read anymore. They don't fucking listen to shit anymore. There's that side. Then it's, it, it's kind of like in, in the news media, I would say it's like watching MSNBC, CNN, or like Fox news. Like they, they'll have like some economist debate a politician and the debate on some deep fucking subject will be like, whatever it is between commercial breaks, like two minutes and 30 seconds, like these guys just get a couple insults in and they're like, all right, thanks for having you. Great thing, you know, thanks for coming on the show. And it's like, I didn't learn fucking anything. I just saw two people puff up their chest like roosters or some shit. So there's that side of the information economy, but there's another side. There's the side with Joe Rogan having motherfuckers on for three and a half hours at a time. Yeah. You're gonna learn some shit. And here's the thing, Rogan's not doing so bad. This motherfucker has like 50 million fucking views for some of the shit. Yeah. It's insane. And there's every podcast you could want. I have the Audible app on my phone. I got, I can fucking download audiobooks way faster than I can fucking yeah. read them. And Ditto. I do read them. <laughs> I do card, yeah, I do card. You know how it is. Like you see a, another book and you're like, God damn, this shit is going to be good. And then six months later, you're like, oh, I'm finally reading this book I downloaded. So there's all the information long form. And, you know, I'll plug my own shit. The RP YouTube channel, RP Plus, which is now we're taking RP Plus and basically deconstructing it and just putting all those. There's like some thousands of hours of in, like university level courses that are not just being transferred to YouTube. So this shit is all free now. So there's that shit. There's tons of ebooks. There's so much deep information you can have now if you want. So when we're looking at like the topography of hypertrophy training, politics, diet, anything. There's two ways to go. And of course, everything in between. And it's up to the individual to choose their path. Do you want to learn how to fucking bodybuild through TikTok videos? Dumb motherfucker. Or <laughs> you guys can see which one I'm fucking biased towards. Or do you want a little bit more of the advanced approach, a little bit more of the in-depth approach so you can actually understand some shit because both are available. Red pill, blue pill. Yeah. 
That's pretty much Blue what it does is. look nice, though. That is awesome. Um, and a very, very, very well thought out analysis between you and between uh, Vaughn, which I truly appreciate. Uh, Mike, we have reached our limit. We don't want to take any more of your time. Uh, we know you got a hard cut off to be out of here, but thank you for joining us for this part too. Um, we really appreciate it. Uh, you've been putting out, you and the RP strength crew have really uh, helped me and helped Vaughn uh, reevaluate some things in our training. And I just picked up the RP Diet 2.0 after you just mentioned you. I have the audiobook on Audible, as a matter of fact. So I, I that's canceled. awesome. See, I canceled my Audi Audible, so I, I need to get it back. But you know, brother stretched thin over here. So <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> but um, but thank you for uh putting all this good content out out here, all this free content. We truly appreciate it. We hope our listeners appreciate it. Uh, if they didn't listen to the first one, where can they find you at, Mike? Easy. So, you know, the place to go and start the journey is now YouTube. Um, Renaissance Periodization on YouTube. Or just type in Dr. Mike Isretel on YouTube. The RP channel will come up. Subscribe to that shit. Watch a bunch of our videos. And there's links that will take you to the site. They'll take you to the Instagram. They'll take you everywhere else. So uh, YouTube's place to go and we have uh, recorded way more videos than we've released. We're recording way more videos than we can ever hope to release on a time frame. I've written a, a ton of outlines and presentations for videos. We're stacked. The schedule is full, and we're going to continue to put out free content for the foreseeable future. So tune in. Excellent. Outstanding. Actually, whoever is putting out so much free content now is probably going to win in the future with... I have a feeling we're going to go, we're headed to another lockdown and I don't know for how long. Ooh. I, I, Why I, you got to say shit like that? I know I'm a dick. I was a happy, well, it was a happy day for me until you said it, that. Well, in Indiana, shit's ticking up pretty bad and Illinois, you know, it's ticking up bad. And here in Nebraska, you know, we have the top infectious disease unit here and people are saying, doctors are basically begging us in Omaha to wear our fucking masks. And we might sure. You know what? I think it's uh, not to get like all COVID, but um, I think it's the school, the school thing. Um, I've seen some reviews of the literature where like kids are really basically like there's no risk to children, but they carry that motherfucker pretty goddamn yeah. well. And they carry that shit back to grandma real yeah, quick. Yeah, so. yeah. exactly. Yeah. But we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But again, Mike, nope. <laughs> so thank you so much. We're going to put a link down at the bottom of the video where they can find all your stuff at YouTube, uh, diet app, all that good stuff. Thank um, you so much. Do you have any parting shots before we head out? No, that's it. Once again, thank, thank you, Dr. Mike, for um, contributing to the rapid democratization of fitness and all things involved in the academics and learning side of fitness so that people can be a little less stupid when it comes to that. And uh, <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure today. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. No problem. So thank you for Vaughn Atin and Dr. Mike Ezretel. I'm Larry Brown. This is the Fit for Duty podcast. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Spotify is coming up soon along with SoundCloud. So until next time, thank you very much and y'all get some games. Later. <laughs>